Hey, Purpose Church. My name is Claire, and I'm our associate high school pastor here at Purpose. And I am so humbled and honored to be together right now for the middle of our series, Before You Leave. And in this series, we've been looking at some of the biggest areas of our lives. And we've been slowing down, trying to pause long enough in order to make room to hear from the Lord, asking, God, how do you want me to think and speak and act? in these major parts of our lives. And so we kicked everything off talking about before you leave your job. And then we talked about our faith, our family. And today we are talking about before you leave your singleness. And before we really get into anything, I feel like I just need to pause and do a little sermon before the sermon because I know that as soon as I said that we were going to talk about singleness, there were some of you who started looking for a different video to watch because you're thinking, well, I'm not single. This does not apply to me. So why do I have to listen to this? And, and before you leave, I just want to offer you three ways that the this doesn't apply to me mindset is actually a little bit more problematic than we think. The first issue with the this doesn't apply to me mindset is that you just never know. It may not apply to you right now, but one day it could. And even more so, it will probably apply to someone close to you who you love. In James chapter 4, starting in verse 13, James speaks pretty bluntly to his readers. And he says, hey, look here, you who say tomorrow we'll go to this town, make this amount of money, do this and that, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Your life is a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. He goes on to say that instead you should say, if the Lord wills, then we will live and do this and that. And as I share that, I know that there are so many in our church family, maybe you watching right now, who have walked through a divorce, or maybe you're widowed and you're thinking, that's me. I, I didn't know what tomorrow was going to hold for me. And if that that's you right now. I just want to personally say that I love you so much. And, and the God who created you, he loves you so much. And he wants to walk with you through this journey. And so do we. We have amazing ministries here at Purpose Church designed specifically for people in those communities. And so I hope you're plugged in. I hope you're a part of those. And to you specifically, you understand these verses in this topic better than anyone. So the first problem with the this doesn't apply to me mindset is you just never know. And the second problem with that mindset is it's actually wise for us to learn. One of the unique ways that God created you and me and all of humanity is that we were created to experience relationships, first and foremost with God himself and then with each other. And so we'd be remiss if we didn't take the time to learn about the things that we were meant for. Proverbs chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 13, 15, excuse me, says the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. And then number three, we should care for our brothers and sisters and Christ. I'm just going to take a moment to speak specifically to followers of Jesus listening. The Bible describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that through Jesus, we are one body. 
And I think that as the church, we need to start doing a better job of bearing one another's burdens, of learning where each other's at. The scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that we are many members of one body. And if one part of the body suffers, the rest of the body suffers with it. And I think that if you are especially a Christ follower this morning, what affects your brothers and sisters in Christ should concern your heart too. So now that hopefully, instead of leaning out, you're compelled to lean in and hear what the Lord might have to say to you specifically, let's talk about singleness. (laughs) Now, the topic of singleness is very important to me because there was a critical season of my life where I did not have a solid biblical understanding of singleness. I've really only been in one serious relationship in my life, and it lasted several years. And to be totally raw and vulnerable, I thought that I was going to marry this man. But spoiler alert, we ended up breaking up. And the main reason for our breakup is we realized that we were on different pages spiritually and it affected everything. So towards the end of our relationship, we were kind of having arguments and hardships up here, but they were all rooted in this uneven foundation that we had, that we had different understandings of what it looked like to follow Jesus. And that's why it's so important that if you're considering leaving your singleness for a romantic relationship, it's so important to only do that for someone who loves Jesus like you do, or better yet, loves Jesus even more than you do. One of my mentors, she says it like this. She says, if Jesus is the most important part of who I am, then somebody who doesn't know Jesus has no hope of understanding the deepest and most important parts of myself. And so all of a sudden, I was a full-fledged adult coming out of this breakup, and I had no idea what it looked like to faithfully follow Jesus as a single person. And the issue with that is when we don't, when we're not anchored in spiritual truth, then we are far too vulnerable to be tossed to and from, to and fro in the waves of culture and what everybody else is saying. It's far too easy to get swept up. And that's what happened to me. I was lost. And what I found is that there are two really dominant views of singleness out there, but they're both skewed. Two skewed views of singleness. Number one, singleness is over-celebrated. This is the view that singleness is prime, like it's the best, and every other romantic relationship is a loss. For, for this view of singleness, think about phrasing like, you do you, or like, go for it, do what feels good, like follow your heart. Also think songs by Beyonce, right? You know, like all the single ladies, all the single ladies, you know? And, and this view of singleness at first, to be totally honest, it's really exciting. And it enticed me because it feels good to do what feels good. But as I started to embrace that view of singleness, I found that it ultimately fell short for me. Because a couple of reasons, it gave this really negative view of romantic relationships, especially marriage. Like it viewed it as some sort of trap that you were chained down and tied down and missing out because you had had someone to answer to. And I knew that that was a lie. I knew that God's vision for marriage was so much more beautiful than that. And the other issue that I had with this view of singleness is that it gave the false impression that you could be self-sufficient, that you didn't need anybody. 
And I also knew that that was a lie because I knew that I was created for relationships. I knew that I needed a savior and I needed a relationship with Jesus. And I also needed other people. I couldn't live life. I couldn't go through it on my own. And so I knew that that was a lie and a skewed view of singleness. But the other view of singleness that I found out in the world, I felt like swung way too far on the other end of the pendulum. And it's this idea that singleness is underappreciated. And this view elevates romantic relationships, specifically marriage, to a place of glorification of of an idol. And it deflates singleness to being something that's honestly kind of suspicious. And it does not take more than 15 seconds on social media for you to see this play out in the world. But do not be deceived. These skewed views of singleness are not just things that are happening out there in culture. This second skewed view of singleness is actually the one that I've encountered most often with fellow followers of Christ, with people who loved Jesus. And and here's how it would play out often. Another one of my amazing friends would get married or get engaged and someone who I think means well would turn to me and they'd say, oh Claire, don't worry, you're next. And I'm like, what? Like, looking around. (laughs) Am I dating someone that you know about, but I don't? Or they would say, oh, Claire, don't worry. Your time will come. Or maybe God is just working on making you more spiritually strong so that when the right man comes along, you're ready. Or if you stop looking, then you will find the one. And At first, some of these phrasings, they seem a little harmless, but what happened is I began to hear those messages so much that I started to internalize them. And what was scary is I started to believe this lie as everyone was expecting marriage for me, um, like almost like an entitlement. I started to believe this lie that somehow I was deficient, that somehow I was limited, that I was missing out on life, dare I say missing out on God's plan for my life simply because I was not in a romantic relationship. And I had to learn that that was a lie and instead put up my shield of truth against it. Because I know that I, once I put my faith in Jesus, I didn't have to wait to experience the Holy Spirit. I knew that because I woke up this morning, because I have breath in my lungs, that God has a plan and a purpose for my life that I could experience and live out right now. I didn't have to wait for a romantic relationship to magically open that up for me. And so both of these views of singleness are skewed. So what's God's view? I think God's view of singleness lands somewhere in the middle of those two views. And here are four essential parts to understanding God's view of singleness and of marriage. Marriage is not guaranteed for every Christ follower. But that doesn't mean that marriage is bad. Marriage actually is a good gift from God. But so is singleness. Singleness is a good gift from God. Singleness is not a waste of time. And it's also not solely preparation to one day be married. Singleness, just like marriage, is a romantic relationship. It, it's, it's, a, it's a relationship status that's an opportunity to honor God. 
1 Corinthians chapter 7 is kind of the hallmark chapter in the Bible about marriage and singleness. And if you are interested in learning more about this topic, I'd really encourage and challenge you this week, open up 1 Corinthians 7 and do a deep dive. And this is what Paul, who writes this letter, says about singleness in verse 7. He says, I wish that all of you were like I am, meaning single. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Singleness is a good gift from God. And if that's true, then I think the next question, next logical question is, okay, well then what does that look like? What does God ask of single people? Well, one of the things that he asks of his single followers is he asks single people to practice celibacy, which is kind of a fancy word, but don't worry. It just means that you don't have sex. And sex is also a good gift given to us from God, but he gave it to us meant for it to be experienced within a marriage covenant between one man and one woman. And single people, kind of by definition, they don't really have a covenant like that. And so God asks them to practice celibacy. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, Jesus is talking to his followers and some religious leaders. And this is what he says to them. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept this. And maybe you're thinking, wow, that is a, that's a high price. That is a huge sacrifice that Jesus asks of his single followers. But make no mistake, Jesus isn't targeting or going after single people. Jesus asks a high sexual ethic of all of his followers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, we are commanded to flee, run on out of there, flee from sexual immorality. And Jesus in Matthew chapter five, he really ups the ante. And he says, it's not even just physical acts of sex outside of marriage that are sin, but it actually has to do with your thoughts too. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with awe with their heart. And maybe you're thinking, man, this this is a lot. And, and I want to sit here for a second because maybe what you're considering leaving isn't just singleness in general, but it's leaving God's plan for singleness, specifically in this area, because it seems like too great of an ask, right? It, it, it seems like too much of a sacrifice. And I think it would be tempting. I think the enemy will want you to believe the lie that because God asks a high sexual ethic of all of his followers, the enemy wants wants you to believe that God is cruel or that he's holding out on you or that he's restricting you. And you might be thinking, well, God, doesn't God care about my happiness? Why would he want me to miss out on those things? And if you're asking those questions right now, good, keep asking them to God. He can handle them. And he'll meet you in that place. But I believe very gently he will express to you that he does care about you, but He is not as concerned with your happiness as he is with your holiness. 
and holiness, that journey through the Holy Spirit of becoming more and more like Jesus, that journey will not always be fun and it won't always feel good because that journey will require sacrifice. But God is so graciously brilliant that when we obey him, when we follow his will and we stay in his presence, that's actually where we experience ultimate joy and satisfaction far greater than anything this world can offer. And having a high sexual ethic is not cruel. Actually, research is showing that low sexual ethic, this is research from the World Health Organization and the National Library of Medicine, research shows that low sexual ethic, such as sexual violence, having multiple partners, and sexual entitlement are actually associated with intimate partner violence and sexual violence against women. I also came across this article in the Washington Post um, in 2022. And this woman named Christine Emba, she, she wrote this opinion essay that is literally entitled, Consent is Not Enough. We need a new sexual ethic. And in this totally secular article, this woman observes that in our post-sexual revolution culture, young people are believing and embracing that sex is good and the more of it we have, the better. The only rule, get consent from your partner beforehand. But the actuality of this type of ethic, the outcome is a world in which young people are both liberated and miserable. Free-for-all sex isn't bringing the ultimate satisfaction that we think that it will. And as I've been thinking about this, uh, this question came into my head, could it be that what we so easily view as God's rules and restrictions are actually guardrails meant to protect us and bring us closer to him and help us honor other people better. And in that place is where we experience ultimate and deepest satisfaction and joy. Now I wanna go back to Matthew 19 verse 12 because I think I love that Jesus is pointing out that there are some people who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And I love this because I feel like Jesus is suggesting that there is something far more interesting for people who follow him than their relationship status. It's why they live out their relationship status in a way that honors God. And it's this for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Marriage and singleness are both good gifts from God, but for the Christ follower, they are an important part about us, but they are not our primary identity. Galatians chapter two, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you are a follower of Christ or you're considering following him and wondering what you would be signing up for, it's this, that your primary identity, that you would start to see it as being a child of God. 
And because of that, our marriage and our singleness, they, they still matter, right? But they're just not the most important parts about us. I like to think of it like whatever our relationship status is, they should be like signs. You know, when you're out driving on the road, what do signs do? They point you in certain directions and you follow the signs that will take you where you're going. And our marriages, and our marriages, our singleness, the way that we live that out, they should be like signs to a watching world that says, hey, the way that I'm living this out points to my faith and my hope in Jesus. And that is that one day we will be united with him in eternity, worshiping him. So take a moment right now to think about your singleness or your romantic relationship. Is the way that you're living that out pointing a watching world to your faith in Jesus? Or is it pointing the world to something else? I love this quote by Pastor Sam Alberry. He, he wrote this awesome book called The Seven Myths of Singleness. And in it, he says, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us its sufficiency. I love that. Marriage is this beautiful small picture of the gospel in which two people commit to sacrificially laying their lives down for one another. But singleness shows us the gospel's sufficiency. A single person living in the way that God asks us to says that I am living for something far greater. I'm living for my eternity. I'm living, be, I'm living for something beyond what my eyes can see. And the gospel is more than enough for me today. There's nothing on this earth that I can experience that will be better than being in Jesus's presence in eternity. And so hopefully you're starting to see it just a little bit. And you're like, Claire, I can, I can kind of see a little bit of God's beauty and design for singleness. But what if I'm still discontent? Is that okay? And I don't want to brush over this because, again, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about some of us who have recently walked through a breakup or who are divorced or who have been widowed. And you're thinking, my discontentment in my singleness has brought me to tears Does God see that? Is he ignoring me? And for you, I want to point out Psalm 56, verse 8. This is the New Living Translation. The psalmist is speaking to God and he says, You keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. God sees you. And God can handle your discontentment just like he can handle your big questions. And in fact, that's something that we should be doing, bringing our whole selves to God. Because sometimes unprocessed discontentment can drive us to settle or abandon God's plan for your life. And so take your discontentment to the Lord. He sees you. And I believe with so much mercy in his eyes, he will meet you in that place. And he will remind you of the truth that he is with you. And he does have good things for you that you can experience today, no matter what your relationship circumstances are. Because remember, in John chapter 6, verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus doesn't say singleness is the bread of life. He doesn't say marriage is the bread of life. He says, I, Jesus, am the bread of life. Whether you're single or you're married, the goal is for God always to increase in our lives. 
and we will need him to sustain us, but he gives us every reason to trust him along the way. So before you leave your singleness, or maybe you've already left, or maybe you want to leave, but it's just not happening, I want to point you to two eternal investments that God is inviting you to make this week, whatever your relationship status may be. The first of the two investments is number one, invest in Christian community. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Just like we started with, you and I were created by God to experience relationships, first with him and then with others. And this is a truth that we find in God's word. And actually, secular research out there is, is finding similar things. Psychologists have identified intimacy and define it as closeness. And they find that intimacy is absolutely essential for forming relationships that are deep, lasting, and healthy, both romantically and non-romantically. And psychologists have found that there are actually several different types of intimacy. And I want you to see these because there's a variety of intimacies and the only one that is not essential for having a full life, for experiencing closeness with someone is sexual. But do you see that there are so many different ways that you can experience closeness with someone? And I just love this. Something that Pastor Eric and I have talked about before is that romantic singleness does not equal loneliness. And friends, we got to start living like that. We have to start investing and enriching our lives in deep, loving, like-minded Christian community that spurs and motivates one another on to love and good works. One of the ways that I've, I've tried to do this in right now as I'm single is I'm a part of a life group. I also serve here at HSM and through those connections, those relationships, I am so blessed to be a part of an awesome Christian community. And so here's your challenge. Choose one person to intentionally invest in who is in a different relationship status than you are. If you're married, who's a single friend who you guys can love? If you're single, who's a couple that you can invest in? And I want to especially drive this challenge home to any of you who are about to leave your singleness for your marriage. Everything is so exciting right now. And I share in your excitement. I'm so happy for you. But can I just urge you, as you prepare for marriage, don't leave your single friends behind. Pray with your fiance who is one single friend who you want to intentionally invest in in your first year of marriage. Invest in Christian community. And then number two, invest in serving others. We've talked a lot about how your relationship status comes with gifts. But those gifts are never meant for you to hoard. They're not meant for you to be used selfishly. Instead, gifts are always meant to be given away to love and serve others. 
And sometimes you will be able to serve your Christian community. But I also think often God asks us to go serve people who don't know him yet. All we have to do is figure out what are the gifts of the relationship status that you're in and then go use them to bless others. For single people, the Bible seems to describe that one of the major gifts of singleness is some flexibility. It's, it's a little bit easier sometimes to say yes to the things that God places right in front of you. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 32, Paul writes, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to restrict you, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. This has honestly been one of my favorite gifts of singleness. And here's one of my favorite ways that it has played out in my life. Kind of this, it's a little bit easier. It's a little bit less complicated sometimes to say yes to the door that God opens right in front of me. And so this is one of my favorite times that I've seen this play out. Um, It was actually my first summer that I was interning here with the high school ministry at Purpose Church. And it had been in the plans for a while and it was coming up. And I remember I got this call from Pastor Eric and he goes, Claire, as you know, summer is approaching and we're so excited that you're coming to intern with us. And I said, yeah, me too. I'm really glad you didn't forget that I was coming. And he goes, All right, well, as you know, one of the things that HSM is doing this summer is going on a missions trip to Peru. And I said, yeah, I think I heard something about that. That's going to be awesome. I'm so excited for you guys. And I'll never forget, he said, well, something just happened with one of our adult leaders, and we actually have the need for another leader to join us on this trip. I know that it's less than two months away. Can you come with us? And I remember in that moment, I got to say, yes, absolutely. There was like no hesitation. And it's because when I was on the phone and that offer came up, I said, oh, it's an opportunity to serve the Lord and serve these kids. Yes, I'm in. I didn't have to think about who was going to babysit my kids for 10 days. I didn't have to think about what my spouse or my significant other would have to say about me choosing to invest this time and energy and finances into this trip. Instead, it was so easy for me to just say, yes, put me in coach, I'm ready. But it's not just single people who can be blessings. Married people can. People in dating romantic relationships can. And, and it's so fun that when we're in those seasons of life, whether you're single or maybe you're dating or you're married, it's so fun to have friends who are in very similar stages than you. But I think sometimes we divide each other up a little bit too much into singles and marrieds when really, again, If we are united in Christ Jesus through his blood, 
we actually need to be leaning towards each other, not away from each other. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 19 say, Now all of us can come, this is the writer talking about Jews and Gentiles. He says, Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. The NIV version of this verse says, we are members of God's household. And so what would it look like to choose to lean towards each other instead of away? Whatever your relationship status is, Use it for the kingdom of God. And here's your second challenge. Invite other people into your life to serve them and love them. And and here's a really practical one. Think about the next time that you come to church. There are incredible people in our church family who come faithfully every Sunday and they love it. They, They share that they are encouraged. They love hearing God's word. They love worshiping together. But sometimes walking in, to church on Sunday is also one of the most intimidating things that they do all week. And it's because they're single and they don't know who they might be able to sit with. I have, I have a good single friend who, who says that sometimes she walks to church and she's like, I don't even know if I'm going to speak one word to somebody today. And could you imagine what it would be like if our church embraced the truth that we are together members of God's family? What would it look like the next time that you're in church to invite your single friend to sit with you, invite your married friends to come sit with you so that we can worship God together side by side? Maybe you're wondering, is that even possible? Can we even get there? I want to close with, with an example of how I do think that we can live out of this identity of being members of God's family together. I'm gonna show you this video to give you a picture of what we've been talking about this whole time. Um, In this video, um, I'm sitting here at a table shared by four of my friends, two of whom are married couples. And across from me is one of our fellow single friends. And this video was taken about a month ago. And we got together to celebrate one of our friend's birthdays. We shared a meal together. We caught up and shared our burdens with one another. We prayed and then we played this silly game about dinosaurs that is being shown right now. And these people at this table, they are some of my closest friends. But what I find really cool about our friendship is that we weren't always getting together at one of our married friends' houses. We actually grew up together and we graduated high school together. And we started off as a group of five women and three men. And as we've gotten older, our group has stretched and we've grown as many of us have entered dating relationships. We've also navigated our fair share of breakups. And now we're in this really sweet season where some of our friends are going on their second year of marriage. And through all of these relationship changes, we have imperfectly, we're still sinful people, still being redeemed by Jesus, but but we have tried through all of these relationship status changes, we have tried to continue to remain committed to one another. 
We've continued to hang out and not neglected meeting up. We've prayed with one another. We've opened up God's word together. And what I love about that is we do that because our relationship status is an important part about us, but our primary identity, the, the first way that we view all, not only ourselves, but each other is as children of God, as members of God's household. We're a family. And I believe this is one of the ways that God is asking you and I, us, the church, to live out being a family together. So no matter what age or stage that you might find yourself in, maybe you're a young adult, an adult, or a senior adult. Maybe you're single or married. Maybe you're divorced or widowed. Hear this. God wants to use your relationship status and the Christian community in your life to make an eternal difference. And God is faithful and he is loving and he wants to meet you wherever you're at and transform your heart and use you to impact others, whatever your relationship status is, even starting today. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. And thank you that you are the bread of life and that whatever relationship status we're walking through, you see us, you keep track of our sorrows and you also call us up and call us out into something greater, your greater plan empowered by the Holy Spirit that we don't have to wait for any sort of relationship status to begin experiencing. But because of Jesus and because of your Holy Spirit, we can experience that now. Jesus, I pray that right now we begin to live out of our primary identity being a son or daughter of you. Jesus, we love you and we give you all the honor and all the glory. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.